life is hard and then you die. Maybe you've heard something like this or some version of this. Maybe you said something like this with maybe some more colorful language attached to it, right? Life is hard and then you die. If you haven't heard it or said it before, you probably at least thought it before. Because if I walked around the room and we had time, time to have an individual conversation with each and every one of you and even to reach out to the online audience and do the same thing, you would have a story that went something like this. Well, this bad thing happened to me. I got this prognosis. We got this unwanted bill in the mail. Uh, we had this debt we didn't know about. Whatever it was, something bad happened. And then you thought, we're kind of getting through this. It's, it's almost done. We got a handle on it. And just about that time, something else came. Another bill came. Another trial came. Another sickness came. And then right about the time when you thought you had a grip on that, something else happened, right? Bad just kept piling up on top of bad. And you thought, well, this is the reality of life. Life is hard, and then you die. And every one of you has a story, something like this. Some are much worse, and, and some aren't as bad, but you all have something like this, where something bad happened, and then something bad happened, just kept piling up and piling up and piling up, and you thought, I'm at the breaking point. Right? There's nothing else I can do. I cannot deal with one more piece of bad news. A couple of weeks ago, I had something like this. Not that severe, but I had something like this. I've been working on my porch. My porch is getting older and I had to kind of reconfigure it, rebuild it. And so I was in the back and I've been unscrewing the boards because I've been trying to save the wood because as you know, that's like gold at this point in time. And so I'm trying to save as much wood as possible. And I got to this one part and I just could not get the screws out. They were old and they were stripped. And so I went to my trusty pry bar and I, I ripped off this big piece of wood and then I just fell to the ground. I didn't pay much attention to it. Went off my project. And I was cruising, I was feeling really good about what I was doing, went back down to that area to measure, and that I'd pried off was now on its back, which means the screws were still in it four inches high, pointing to the sky, and you know what's about to happen. I went in for my special measurement, stepped forward, the screw went through my boot and through my foot, and my day was unpleasant at that point in time. Now here's the fun thing about this is we had just installed a special ring security camera and the whole thing is on tape. So I come in with all my pain and suffering and blood and all this stuff and I find my wife watching the replay video of this. It was not pleasant, right? If you have done this before, at least you can understand or empathize with what this feels like. It was not great because your foot affects a lot of stuff. You can't walk properly, which means all the sports I love and enjoy and just working out, I couldn't do any of that. So that was all taken from me. I'm hobbling around church. I, I look silly. I can't even put on dress shoes. So I'm wearing tennis shoes with dress clothes. It was, just, it was just a horrible, horrible number of days. So finally I get to about Thursday and I'm feeling kind of normal, right? I can walk relatively normal. And I get to Friday, that's my day off. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go back after the deck. I'm gonna finish this project. So I, I hobble out there and I'm working, working, work. And once again, yeah, really getting pretty far. I've got one final piece, just kind of this finishing piece. I have to drill this piece of wood up into the railing, which is a two by four above. And so I pull out my drill, I put the, the proper bit on it and I'm pushing really hard to keep it in place. And I'm pushing, 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 drilling. And all of a sudden it slips off the screw and goes directly into my thumb bad got worse. Now, if you thought stepping on a nail hurts, 
putting your drill through your thumb is significantly worse, I found out. It was not fun. Now, fast forward through time, right? Bad leads to bad, sometimes leads to another bad. So now I'm kind of healing up from all this stuff and all of a sudden I wake up at two in the morning with a sore throat. I mean, you gotta be kidding me, right? Sometimes life is like this. Sometimes we feel like life is hard, all of life is hard, and the only escape is the end. Now, I would say that half of that statement is true. Because biblically, as we look at scripture, we see that life is hard. Ever since Adam, sin has crept into the world, it starts messing stuff up, it makes our life difficult. We deal with all the ramifications of that, and life is hard. But I would definitely push back against the second part of that. You see, I would disagree that the goal of life is to simply escape pain. I would definitely disagree that the goal of life is to escape pain. Because as we look at scripture, what do we see in the lives of our heroes of the faith? What do we see in the life of Jesus? Not people trying to escape pain, but to deal with this pain of this life in the right way. You see, how you deal with pain in your life will define your life. Because we all have pain. We all go through hardships. It's different for every person, but we all go through hardships. And how you deal with it will define your life. How you deal with it will set the course for your life and will ultimately set the course for the people around you, those who are connected to you. Because how you deal with pain will define your life and the ministry and the value of your life. And this is nothing new. It's not like I just came up with something profound this morning. This has been true from all of time. And so it should come as no surprise that even when the Apostle Paul was writing a large swath of the New Testament, he spoke into conversations like this. This is what he said. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Now we are in the middle of our sermon series, Unhealthy, and, and the idea is very simple. The premise is very simple. There are some things that are healthy and there are some things that are unhealthy. The healthy things bring us positive results. The unhealthy things bring us natural negative results. And if I went around the room, you guys would know this, right? We all know this. In fact, I could say something very simple, like what's better, eating a bowl of ice cream or eating a banana? I'm not talking about taste. I'm talking about what would be better for you. You would all know the answer. If I said, what's better, sitting on the couch all day and watching TV or going for a walk, you would know the answer, right? We kind of know instinctively what's healthy and unhealthy. If I said, what's better, taking your credit card and maxing it out to buy things you don't really need or saving for a rainy day, you would know the answer, right? We kind of all know the proper answer. We know healthy and unhealthy. So the question is, why do we keep doing the unhealthy things? Well, this is what Paul says. Paul says, we do this because we are deceived. Now, if you've been around Christian circles before, I asked you who is the ultimate deceiver to you, you might say Satan, right? He's the father of lies. He's, he's the ultimate deceiver trying to destroy your life and, and destroy the, the possibility of you using your life for the benefit of God, right? That's his role. Now, for me, that might be true for you, but for me, I will say this. I don't need that level of competition most of the time, right? It doesn't require Satan to battle me I can, I can easily be overcome by a commercial, uh, a friend, a salesman, and I can go down all sorts of negative paths really, really quickly. In fact, I don't even need that 
because I already have the, the most challenging salesman within me, which is me. And maybe you're the same, right? We can justify just about anything in our life and live out unhealthy practices because we have made sense of it or we feel like we deserve it or, or it's just one time or whatever that is, right? We sell ourselves on these things and we all experience this. This is the common thing that we have in our lives as humans. We're all battling the sin. We're all making bad choices. So you might be thinking, well, if everyone is this way, if everyone's this way, why does this next statement make sense? If everyone is the same, isn't it seem a little bit unfair that God might punish us for this? Doesn't it seem unnecessary that he would pour his wrath on us? If we're all the same way and we're all kind of dealing with sin because of the natural result of the fall, isn't it a little unfair that he would behave this way? Well, to understand that, we need to look at this next sentence very closely. Because if we just isolated this section and we said, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient, and maybe we put it up on our wall at home, it would give really a false sense of what God is doing here. You see, the word here for wrath in the original Greek is the word arge, which means a discontent of the soul that leads to correction. That's where we get our word wrath in this sentence. A discontent of the soul that leads to correction. Now, if you're a dad in the room, you understand this. There are times in your life when your kids do something that makes you discontent in your soul and you have to correct them because you want a better way for them. If you're a mom, you understand this. If you're a stepdad, you understand this. If you're a coach, you understand this. If you're a teacher, if you do anything to mold the next generation, you get it. Because what are you trying to do? You're trying to make their life better than your life was. To give them everything that you've learned, to hand it down so they don't have to cross the same roads that you crossed and, and deal with all the damage that you did in your life, right? That's, that's your goal. But sometimes, guess what? They don't listen, do they? They repeat the same mistakes that you made as a kid and it's so frustrating. It causes a discontent in the soul and what do you have to do? You have to correct them because sometimes your two-year-old drives his tricycle out into the road over and over and over and over again even though you've told him this is not good and you will die. And so what do you do as a good dad? You give him a severe punishment, whatever works, so he won't do that because whatever punishment you give him is far less than death. Maybe your kids have grown up. You're past that tricycle time, but now maybe they got hooked on drugs because they're trying to escape life. And someone offered to them. And now it's a part of their existence. They're spending all their money in this way. And you as a parent are concerned because you know this will lead to death sooner or later. And so you have to do something severe. Maybe you cut them off. Maybe you force them into rehab. Maybe you say, we're not a part of your life anymore until you get, you get shaped up, whatever it is. You do something severe because you want them to be on a better path because you know the consequences are far worse in the real world than what you could offer them. God is our loving father. And sometimes in our life, he does this. He sees the course where we're going. He knows he needs to correct us. He has this discontent, discontent in his soul. And so he corrects us. He moves us in a different direction. Well, Paul continues on this line. Therefore, do not be associated with them. You see, just like God is our heavenly father, 
Paul felt like he was a spiritual father to this church and so he continues to guide them and he gets on his dad's soapbox and he says, look, these people you are around that are deceiving you, that are leading you down bad paths, don't be around them. Right, he says what every dad is gonna say at some point in time when their kids become a teen, you become like those you are around. Right, and if you're a teen, you heard this this last week. If you've been a teen, you heard this at some point in time in your life. For us who have younger kids, we will say this at some point in time in our life. You will become like those you are around because it's true. But notice something here for us who are adults. Notice something. Paul is not talking to teenagers. Now, he could be, but he's not here. He's not giving a talk at a youth conference or a camp. He's not talking confirmation. He's writing to a church, which is people just like you and me. Because sometimes as adults, we kind of think like we've arrived right? We're, we're cruising. We don't need this anymore. It doesn't affect. We're exempt. But Paul knew this was true of everyone. You will become like those you are around. You'll become like those you listen to, the podcasts you listen to, the books you read. Slowly over time, you will look in the mirror and you will see exactly who you let influence you. Well, Paul continues with this mindset. For once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light. So once again, he's still playing dad here, playing dad to us. He says, don't go back and repeat the same mistakes you used to. Because in this church, there were people that maybe like, maybe like you. Maybe you went your own way, right? You did your own thing. You kind of knew about Jesus. Maybe you didn't know about Jesus but you did it your own way. It was unhealthy. It was bad. You dealt with all the negative consequences. Maybe you still are dealing with the negative consequences. And you went through all that and you hit rock bottom. You ran into a wall and you thought, you know what? Well, this isn't working. So maybe I should try the exact opposite. Someone invited you to church. Maybe you came back to church because you remember grandma telling you about church or when you were little, grandma took you to church and you came back. You thought, I have nothing else to lose. So I'm going to do it Jesus' way to see what happens. And you start experiencing the positivity. And then what happens is we kind of go in the right direction. We feel like we're cruising, right? We've, we've set the cruise control and, and nothing will change and we're great. But the problem is the world continues to pull us out of that path, out of Christ's way into a worse way. This is why Paul says this, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, Paul knew that we don't just cruise. We don't reach a certain age and we just stay in that path for Jesus and we're doing all the right ways. Paul knows that our default setting is if we do not maintain this, we will go back to the unhealth, to the ways of the world. So Paul says, try to figure out what is pleasing to God. Try to figure out what God would want for you in your life, in this moment, in that decision try to figure it out. Now, how do we do that? If we want to understand what God wants for us, it means we need to continue to be in environments like this. We need to be in life groups. We need to be in conversation. We need to be listening to podcasts. We need to be reading our scripture because we always want to know what God wants for us because those lies are always creeping in and trying to take over, always trying to pull us in the unhealthy direction. But Paul continues. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. So now Paul, he takes a little turn here. 
He spent a lot of time talking about us, our transformation of our heart and our lives. But this is what Paul knows, and this is what you know if you've been around New Life long enough. You know that the natural result of your changed heart and your changed life should begin to influence your community, those people around you, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, those people you have conversation with at the, at the coffee shop, whoever that is, that it should bleed over. So Paul says, expose the darkness. Now, what he's not saying here is go on Facebook and you know somebody got caught in an affair or they're doing something bad and you go, so-and-so got caught on this day doing this. Post, I've exposed the light to this darkness. Or go to their family reunion and show up and say, hey guys, guess what? Your cousin did. Right, we don't do that. We do everything from a spirit of love, which means first and foremost, we have to love them, right? And then we go to them and say, I love you too much to let you go. Everyone sees this. You don't see this. I see this. I want the best for you. I love you too much to let you go in this direction. This is what I'm seeing. How can I help this with? How can I help you with this? Now you might be thinking, well, I, I know they did it, but I don't love them. Well, first we got to deal with the love part of that, right? Which means put their name on wherever you pray, put it on your hand and kneel down and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And when God gives you a spirit of love towards them, then you can go to them. Then you can serve them. Then you can help them. Well, Paul's not done. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now Paul is making another shift. Instead of exposing and putting the light on others, who is the light getting put on now? It's getting put on me, which is uncomfortable, right? Because when you put the light on my story, guess what you see? Not my highlight reel. You see the whole story. But it's in the whole story where people can find your humanity and can find how God has worked in your life. In fact, the Bible is, is filled with things like this. Think about Peter. Peter is the first disciple to say, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, you are the Messiah, you are the king. This was amazing. The first believer, essentially. This is, this is, this is Peter. And then guess what happens not long after? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him, just this little girl, right? Peter is scared now. He's fearful now. He walks on the water, right? This is an amazing act of faith. And then he's drowning the next second. This is Peter's story. In fact, if you think about the Bible, if you were writing this or your friends were writing this and, and document this, wouldn't you just go, go to them and say, look, let's just keep that part out. Let's just do the highlight reel. I walked in the water and, and we're done. I said, Jesus is the Christ, and then we're done. And that's the beauty of the Bible. In fact, this is one of the reasons I know it's true, because it has the whole story, right? The good and the bad within it. Your story has good and bad within it. We all know that. But we use that story, and we're open to sharing that story to help others find the light as well. Well, Paul continues. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is Paul saying here? The days are evil. Life is hard. Life stinks. Fill in whatever you normally say during that. 
Life is not great, right? The days are evil. The natural pull is to darkness. Our natural reality is not great. Now, as I thought about what Paul is saying here, I thought about this idea of, of mental health. Mental health is a big conversation in our culture right now. It's been a reality of the existence of humanity for a long time, right? When we come to grips with that life is very, very challenging and life is very, very hard, we deal with this idea of mental health, right? This is, this is concerning to us, this is stressful to us, this is depressing to us. And then we're left with this concept that, that filters into our culture that the only way to deal with this is to escape. If I can just get away from the pain, if I can just escape the pain, that's the benefit. And that's nothing new. Look at what Paul says about this church. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. What were the people doing to deal with this pain? They were trying to escape, right? If I can just get drunk, the pain will go away at least for a moment. If I can just get that right drug, the pain will go away. Now we cope with pain in all sorts of different ways. Some of them are fairly positive and some are really disastrous, right? We might go on a vacation. The problem, of course, is the pain is still there when we come back. We might pour ourselves into work to avoid that pain and then our family lives fall apart. We might max out our credit cards and then we still have to deal with another pain of the collectors coming. We might go to the gym, that's fairly positive. We might go to church, right? There's all sorts of ways that we try to escape pain. But what Paul is going to show us that the, the goal is not to escape the pain. This is what he says. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times, and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's alternative to this idea of escapism. First of all, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Right, get God's truth into you because your mind is naturally going to be filled with the lies of the world, the lies of Satan, the lies you tell yourself. And the only way to get that out is to get God's truth in. You have that transformation of mind by constantly, constantly, constantly having your mind refreshed with God's truth. And I think that's why Paul says, do it in song, because what is a song? A song is repetition. A song is catchy. It has a melody. The words tend to rhyme. And guess what happens? You hear a song and you go home and you find yourself humming it. And all of a sudden that's just working around in your mind. And that truth is replacing the lies. That's one way. And Paul goes on and says something else that's very significant. He also says, don't do this alone. He says, do this among yourselves. Right? Do this among yourselves. We are better together. We are not meant to live a Christian life in isolation. We are meant to do this together. And he closes with this. Be thankful. And this is a perspective change, right? Be thankful. Now, as Christians, we have a, a lot of reason to be thankful, don't we? If you are a follower of Christ, what, what is the thing that you're holding on to? What is your, your ultimate hope? That Jesus Christ came down, he lived, and he faced pain. He faced pain. He didn't escape from pain. He didn't run from pain. He wanted to. But he didn't. He faced it head on and he went to the cross and died for our sins and he rose again. It shows that we have hope in the resurrection. We have hope in his work on the cross. And there will be an escape someday. But we hold on to that change our perspective when we deal with the darkness of this life. But even, even with that, there is a perspective change of just being thankful in general. Even when we go through pain, 
Because when we have an eternal perspective and when we have a larger reaching perspective, it changes things. When that nail went through my foot, it was not pleasant. But guess what? I live in an area of the world where I can go to the doctor. I can get a tetanus shot. I know that my foot is going to heal. I know that I'm not going to lose my leg. When I did this to my hand, I knew the same things, right? I knew it was going to heal. It's just a matter of time. Change our perspective. When I knew I got sick, I knew that would go away fairly quickly. I knew I could go to Walmart and get a couple things to kind of deal with that, help clean up the congestion. I knew I could be here with you today and talk because I had that perspective. So, life is hard, and then you die, is not the truth. Life is hard, and it will be hard, and there's nothing that's going to change that. It's just a part of sin. It's a part of reality. However, what you do with that pain will define you. What you do with that pain will define your ministry. What you do with that pain will set the course for your life. And what you do with that pain will set the course for not only your life, but those around you. 